the Lord for tonight. And as always, we are grateful to Father for the blessedness of being able to sit at His feet and learn from Him. Learn from Him in His Word. When the Bible speaks about sitting at the feet of Jesus, it means being in the place where your heart is receptive to the Word of God. The Bible says, Wherefore, lay aside all filthy, hallelujah, anything that desecrates your spirit, anything that desecrates your mind, anything that desecrates your body. The Bible says, lay it aside, hallelujah. The Bible says, lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Hallelujah. What is that? That is the overabundance of naughtiness. What does it mean to be naughty? Somebody who doesn't listen to, who is hard-headed, you know, uh, the person doesn't listen to correction. The person doesn't listen to counsel and seeks to do and go his own way. In Christ, the Bible says, lay aside, lay that aside. The, 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 The apostle is speaking from the children of Israel. They were a stiff-necked people. And because of that, they were not able to follow the instruction and the leadings of God. When God sent his angel, the angel of his presence before them, he said to them, that, listen, when you disobey him, it will not go well with you. They were such naked people that simply could not believe and trust God. They always wanted to go their way or go the way of the other nations. Hallelujah. Despite all the things God showed them by way of miracles and demonstration of his power. So the apostle is looking at that and saying, lay aside all filthy and superfluity of naughtiness. That is, don't be hard-headed. Don't be a stiff-necked people. Don't be somebody who rejects counsel. But rather, receive with meekness the engrafted word. You understand? That is, let your heart be in a place that is, it is receptive to the word of God. The children of Israel's heart was not receptive to the word. So the Bible says that the word that was to them did not benefit them because it was not mixed with faith when they heard. That is, their heart could not receive the word. They rejected the word. They did not follow the leading of the word. They did not follow the counsel, the instruction, the wisdom of the word. The word, they did not follow it. They went their own ways. Hallelujah. And what happened to them? The Bible says that all of them died in the wilderness. They missed out on the promised land. Amen and amen. So when it comes to the word of God, there is a certain posture we need to have. Laying aside all things that desecrate and putting aside all things that make us naughty or the desire to want to go our own way. You have to lay it aside. Because you see, the revelation of God in his word will collide against any resistance in you. Anything in you that wants to have things his own way, the word of God will collide with it because the word is the agency by which Jesus establishes his lordship over your life. So Jesus said, why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? (laughs) Hallelujah. Why do you even call me Lord? Because Lord means owner. That means my word has authority in your life. But why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? When you don't listen to my instruction? When you don't follow my leading? When you don't follow my wisdom? Why then do you call me Lord? So you see, we need that posture of meekness. The Bible says concerning Moses that he was the meekest man upon the earth. So the Bible says that Moses knew the ways, but the Israelites knew the acts of God. 
Hallelujah. The only way we can get to the place where we would understand God and know his ways, his ways that are higher than our ways, for us to really understand, we need that posture of meekness when it comes to the engrafted word, which is able to save our soul. Hallelujah. That is bring the transformation. Remember, the Bible says that be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of the mind. That is the salvation of the soul. Hallelujah. Where the word of God is doing its proper work in you. You've yielded yourself to the word. Hallelujah. And you say like 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 Mary, be it unto me according to your word. As we sing the song, be it unto me according to your word. According to your promises, I can stand secure. Have upon my heart the truth that sets me free. According to your word, O oh Lord, be it unto me. Hallelujah. I pray that that would be the prayerful song of our hearts every day. The true believer who has written the Lordship of Christ is one whose heart yearns and makes this confession always, be it unto me according to your word. You need that posture when it comes to God's word. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. And receive with what meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. God is not the one who is going to prepare your heart to receive the word. Many times we hear, let's pray that God will prepare our hearts. No. You would do that. You would prepare your mind. You would prepare your spirit. You would prepare yourself. You are the one who condition your mind. It is not God's responsibility to do that. You have that responsibility. Amen and amen. So as the word of God is coming, you position yourself to listen, to understand, and to receive. It is your responsibility. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So anytime the, the ministry of the word is such a sacred appointment, that is why as your pastor, I don't joke with it. It is of utmost importance in the kingdom. It is that by which Jesus establishes rulership in your heart. It is that by which Jesus orders your life and leads you as his shepherd. As your shepherd, you being his sheep. The word of God, it is the agency by which God works his work in you by his spirit. Nothing is done without the word. So the teaching of God's word cannot be overemphasized. And you hear me all the time saying this. That is why we don't joke with it. It is a sacred appointment. As we teach the word, we are not only unveiling the truth of God's word, bringing the revelation of the light of God's truth, we are also bringing impartations of the spirit, imparting grace to your heart, imparting strength to your spirit, imparting renewal to your mind. Hallelujah. Jesus said, you are cleansed by the word I've spoken. Through the hearing of God's word, there's a cleansing that takes place. There's a renewal that takes place. A refreshing that takes place. A lifting that takes place. An empowerment that takes place. Hallelujah. As you sit under the ministry of the word of God, something is happening to you. So don't take it lightly. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Manchester Adelia Kose. Thank you, Holy Ghost. You are here. Oh, doing your work among us. Amen. Let the ministry of your word tonight be a blessing to your people. So that we'll be edified in you as you are glorified in us. Amen. Amen. We are continuing in our study. We are continuing our study um, in Romans chapter number five. We are laboring through Romans. Amen.
I have come to understand as a pastor that exegetical teaching is very important. Hallelujah. Taking time to go through the scriptures and revealing what we actually mean contextually is so important for, for believers to get a grasp of the revelation of God. That is why we are painstakingly going through the scriptures one by one. We are not rushing it. Hallelujah. We are not speaking to impose our thoughts on it. We are simply unveiling. And these truths that Paul, we are reading from Paul, where did Paul get them from? That's the question. Did Paul just sit down and, you know, craft something from his own imagination? No. Remember, during the days of Paul and even during the days of Jesus, the scriptures were only Genesis to Malachi. Until Paul died and many years later, the New Testament was not compiled, even though he wrote the letters and sent to the churches and they read them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not written until, you know, somewhere in AD, you know, uh, uh, after even AD 70. Hallelujah. So, you understand, all the revelation Paul is pouring, pouring out here, they are revelations of truth hidden in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. That is Genesis to Malachi. So, it is nothing. If you attended church in Paul's day, your Bible would be the Old Testament. And Paul preached the light of God's truth from the Old Testament. He unveiled the new life in Christ, the beauty of the gospel, the power of the gospel for salvation from the Old Testament. We don't throw away the Old Testament. Rather, we unveil what God hid in there, the truth God hid in there. And that is what we are going to see today. Part of that we are going to see today as we've been going through the book of Romans, we've been seeing the gospel being unveiled to us. But let's continue. Last week we, we, we dealt to Romans chapter number 5. We read from verse 1 to verse 11. Today, we are going to continue in verse 12. And as we read from verse 5, 1 to 11, we concluded with this. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have now received the atonement. We spoke about what the atonement is, hallelujah. And we spoke about how that when we were sinners, enemies of God, God reconciled us to himself by the death of the Son much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Amen. We saw the enormity, intensity, and immensity of the eternal love of God directed toward us in Christ. In that, he died for us when we were totally helpless and hopeless. So if he could do that for us when we were sinners, what wouldn't he do for us now that we are his sons? Hallelujah. Somebody say to me, I'm a son of God. I'm a son of God. The greatest revelation of the scriptures is that men can become sons. As many as receive them, to them he gave the power to become what? Sons of God. Do you know what that means? That is so telling and so powerful. That is why John says, Behold, First John chapter number 3, Behold, that is see with wonder. What manner of love is this? And what is the manifestation of that love? That we should be called the sons of God. And it does not appear what we shall be like, but when it shall appear, we shall be like him. Hallelujah. And every man that had this hope in himself purifies himself even as he is pure. Amen and amen. The great blessing is that we have become sons just as he was a son. Amen. So look at, let's, let's look at uh, Romans chapter number 5, verse 12. In continuation, he says, listen to Paul. Paul is unpacking something for us. He says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. 
Do you see what Paul is saying? For by one man, how did sin enter into the world? Sin entered by one man. How was sin destroyed? Sin was destroyed by one man. That is Christ on the cross. Amen. So the power of sin over the believer is being destroyed, but the presence of sin is still here. That is why the Bible says that do not yield your members instruments of unrighteousness. And it also says that sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Why? Because now you are in Christ and not in the world. So sin is no longer your task must. Hallelujah. It no longer has power over you. Therefore, it cannot exercise its dominion over you. You live in God's grace. That means you have power over the grace of God, which bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly, we should live soberly and righteously and devout lives in Christ. That's the power of God's grace. The advent of God's grace is the end of the power of sin in the life of he who believes in Christ. So he says, For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. How did the principle of death enter into the world? Death came by sin. Sin came through one man. Which man was this? Adam. Now you should understand who Adam was. Adam was not just one individual. Adam was one in, but he also was the federated head of the human race. That means Adam was humanity in one man. Hallelujah. All of humanity was in He was the federated head of the human race. So by him, sin entered into the world. And death by sin. That's why after Jesus had conquered the devil in the grave, he says, Oh, death, where is your, oh, grave, where is your power? Then he says, the sting of death is what? Sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God who gives us the power or the victory through Christ Jesus. The sting of death is what? Death comes through sin. Hallelujah. The Bible says that a man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. How does sin come? When a man is drawn away of his own lust and when it has consumed, it gives birth to and then sin was death. Sin came through one man, Adam. Who brought sin into this world? Adam. This is theology we are studying right here. How did death come? It came through sin, the sin of Adam. The principle of death. I've taught you death is not a spirit. Like people say, I bind the spirit of death. I bind the spirit of death. I cast out the spirit of death. Death is not a spirit. You can't kill death. You can't bind death. Death has been destroyed. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That is why we have received a life beyond death. Hallelujah. Death is a principle. Amen. We know why is death not a spirit. Let's do some analogy, uh, some understanding here. Why is death not a spirit? People are dying everywhere. And we know that the only spirit that is omnipresent is God. God is a spirit. Hallelujah. He's the omnipresent spirit. Every other spirit is not, does not have that quality. And actually, the devil is not omnipresent. There are many people who think the devil is everywhere. He's omnipresent. No, he just has a highly organized system that makes him as though he's everywhere. No, the devil is not everywhere. I'm talking about Satan. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Death is a principle, which is the cessation of natural life. You understand? What God breathed into man was natural life. Death is the cessation of natural life. And also the separation between the Spirit of God and that of man. So when God said to Adam, the day you eat of this fruit, you will die. He died spiritual in that he lost the separation. And then he died eventually because the principle of death 
started working in his body. That is why anything that is born dies. Anything in this world, from the trees to all creatures, they die. As long as you are a living thing, you are born to die. Hallelujah. But we that in Christ, we have received a life that is beyond the grave, beyond death. It is called eternal life. That is why when we die, we don't say the believer has died. He has nearly fallen asleep. Why? He shall resurrect again on the last day. Amen and amen. So death came through sin and sin came through one man. Who was that? Adam, the federated head of the human race. Then look at verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Do you see it now? From Adam to Moses, sin was in the world. But God could not impute. Let me not say God could not impute. Sin could not be imputed to anybody's account. Why? Because there was no law. Remember, the strength of sin is the law. So why did God bring the law to us? The law that was intended to give life. Why did sin reign? We'll see it here. Uh, verse 14. Look at verse 14. It says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Why did the Bible not say death reigned from Adam to Jesus? Because we know it is Jesus who conquered the grave and took the keys of death and the grave from the devil. So why did he not say death reigned from Adam to Jesus, but rather to Moses? Because Moses was giving the law that was intended to give life to the people. But that, was, that which was intended to give life rather brought death to them. Why? Because sin, finding occasion through the law, was strengthened and rather brought death to the people. Because, you see, the law is powerless in that the law is simply a lie. It shows you the sinfulness and wickedness of your heart. It shows you your depravity, but cannot really do anything about it. It is simply a light. When a room is dirty, you turn on the light. All the light is doing is showing you how dirty the room is. The light cannot clean anything in there. Hallelujah. That's the law. Amen and amen. That's the law. So the law was not really something God intended for his people for salvation. It was merely to, merely to help them know how depraved they were and so cry out for a savior. So the Bible says that the law was our schoolmaster, which brought us to Christ. The purpose of the law is that man will see his depravity. Man will see his helplessness in the face of sin and cry out for a savior. The law is supposed to bring you to Jesus. If you follow the law, it is pointing to Christ. In the law is the revelation in types and shadows of the savior to come, who was Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. For example, the laws concerning the Sabbath, who is he talking about? Jesus. How that we have rest in Christ. But you see, because men don't understand the use of the law, men have used it rather to tie themselves down and put burdens upon people. So the apostle said, said to the people that, listen, this law with this burden that neither us nor our forefathers could bear, they called the law a burden because it was rightly so. Amen and amen. The Bible says the law is good if a man knows how to handle it lawfully. There is a purpose and a reason for the law. And that is the law is a light that shows man his depravity so that he can cry out for a savior, that is Jesus. The law is a schoolmaster that brings. So death reigned from Adam to Moses, unhindered. Even over them that had not after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is a figure of him that was to Adam was what? A figure of him that was to come. Who is this him that was to come? Jesus Christ, the second and last Adam. You see, in the mind of God, I've said to you, there are only two people. Adam, the first Adam, and Christ Jesus, the second and last Adam. 
Amen and amen. So the question is, in which Adam are you? The second Adam came to end the life of the first Adam when he died on the cross. If Jesus had only died for us and had not resurrected, what would have happened is you would have been simply innocent and would have gone back to the days of Adam in the garden. Adam in the garden was innocent, but he did not have eternal life. Because in the garden, the tree of life was there, but Adam did not eat of that fruit. He was simply innocent. Amen and amen. You understand? But when the second Adam ended the life of the first Adam on the cross by taking upon him the sins of Adam, all that are in Adam upon the cross, and bore the penalty of it, that is death, eternal separation from the Father, Jesus died eternally for us. He did not end it there. He was raised again by the power of the Holy Ghost on newness of life. That was the last Adam, the last Adam. Hallelujah. And we, like Christ, are in the last Adam. He is the last Adam and we are in him. And we are after his likeness. This last Adam is the new creation in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away. All things have become new. We are not just innocent. We are new creation. With no history or past of sin. Hallelujah. We have crossed a divide which is irrevocable and irreversible. You see why we say the believer cannot lose his salvation. You see why we say this? We say it's not because we just, I keep saying this, we just sit down and out of a belly full we say, no, it is from the exigences of the text of scripture. Hallelujah. Even after them that are not sinned after the transgression, after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Why? Because Adam's transgression threw the whole of, the, of humanity into bondage to sin and death. So all after him, death reigned over them. I would say that Adam was a figure of him to come. Do you know when Jesus said, let us make man in our own image. I said to you, who is the image of God? The Bible says concerning Jesus, he's the express image of his person. The visible one of the image. Jesus is the image of God. So when God was, when God was saying, let us make man in our image. He was, you see, the account of Genesis is Moses skillfully using the creation story to tell of salvation in Christ. Right from the beginning, he said, let there be light. What is that? That is Jesus. That's why in Corinthians, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our heart to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Moses was revealing this truth in Genesis. So when God said, let us make man in our own image and in our likeness, he was talking about men being in Christ. Hallelujah. But the tree of life was there. Who was Jesus? Adam did not eat of it. That is, Adam did not believe in Jesus. Rather, disobeyed. That is, unbelief. And fell short of the glory. What is the glory, Jesus? So Jesus had to come in flesh. Hallelujah. And redeem fallen man. Amen and amen. By dying and ending the life of the first Adam and raising The Bible says the first Adam was made a living soul. When God breathed into him, he became a living soul. But the second and last Adam is a life-giving spirit. Listen to me. We are not just living souls. In Christ Jesus, we are not just living souls. We are life-giving spirits. Why? We've received the abundant life of Christ in us. We are life-giving spirits. That is why we speak life. We have a life in us that is beyond death. Now look at this. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead. That is, if through the offense of Adam, through the 
the sin of Adam, many died. That is, many died spiritually in Adam. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, had abounded unto many. Hallelujah. You see it? So all that, all them that find themselves in Christ receive the gift, which is by grace. What is this gift? It is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. Hallelujah. It's by grace. By one man, Jesus Christ had abounded unto many. And that is why we preach the gospel to many that they will come to the saving of the knowledge of Christ. Look at verse 6. And not as it was by one that sin, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one unto condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Hallelujah. Do you see it? The free gift is of many offenses unto justification. That is the free gift, which is salvation. We have received that salvation, that eternal life, because we have been justified. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. We have been, I explained to you what justification is. Justification, we were justified by the resurrection of Christ. That is when the second Adam, that is Jesus, ended the life of the first Adam and was raised unto newness of life as the last Adam. There is no other Adam coming again. Jesus is the last Adam when he rose from the grave, the last man that God recognizes, and we find ourselves in him. If Jesus had only died, we would only simply be innocent, and we can go and sin again and have sin on us again. But he ended that life and was raised to newness of life when he was raised he was a new creation, one that had not existed before. That is what he gave us. And that is why we are justified. That is declared not guilty. There is, we, in, we have the gift of not guilty. That's the gift we have, not guilty. That is why no man cannot bring an accusation to the believer. So the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? That scripture is not talking about the devil's fighting you. It's good there. But it's really speaking about your justification. He says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. It is God who justifies. Yes, it is even Christ that died. That's what the Bible says. Hallelujah. You understand it? So he says, verse 17, for if by one man's offense, death reigned by one much more they which receive abundance of grace. Do you see it? Oh, grace is in what? In abundance. There's something about God's grace always given in abundance. What is grace? We said it is the unmerited favor of God. The outpouring of the goodness of the heart of God toward us. It is not something we deserve. It is not something we merited. Hallelujah. It is free for us. Amen and amen. We receive abundance. It is in abundance. Abundance of grace. The believer has come into abundance of grace. You cannot exhaust the grace of God. You cannot exhaust it. You cannot. Absolutely, you cannot exhaust God's grace. Your eternal life in Christ is secured and insured by grace. That is why the believer cannot lose his salvation. It's impossible. Hallelujah. Somebody say to me, I'm elected by grace. I am elected by grace. Oh, talk to me, say to me, say to me, I'm elected by grace. I'm elected by grace. I am elected by grace. Say to me, I am preserved by grace. I am preserved by grace. Hallelujah. There is a preservation Christ. Hallelujah. So the Bible says, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Who is able to keep you from falling? Not yourself. It is God. And it's Unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless and without blemish before the presence of his own glory. 
who has the responsibility of presenting you blameless and without blemish before the presence of his own glory? It is God. Hallelujah. He has that responsibility. The Bible says, unto him be glory and honor. Hallelujah. That is what I'm telling you. Listen, God will never let you go. He will never let you go. He won you trophy on the cross when Jesus died and resurrected. Do you think he will let you go? Do you think he will leave you to become prey for the enemy? Do you think he will leave you to become one for the enemy? No. You are his. Hallelujah. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. How? Through the gospel. Through the gospel, he chose you. You are his. Never letting you go. Amen and amen. This is the blessed assurance we have in Christ. So we say, blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a portent of glory, heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Listen to the words of the telling, blessed assurance. It is an assurance. Salvation is an assurance. Hallelujah. Mando Shadabaye. Jesus is mine. Not only Jesus is ours, we are his too. Amen and amen. Oh, what a fortune of glory, heir of salvation. We are heirs of salvation. Do you know what that means? We are heirs of salvation. That is that we are rightful inheritors of salvation. We cannot be denied. God has appointed us his own heirs. He says we are joint heirs with Christ. If only men knew the seriousness of God concerning this thing he has done in Christ for us, they will always rest assured in Jesus. Hallelujah. You will not be threatened. You will not be worried. You will not let anybody unsettle you. You know that you have this blessed assurance that causes your heart to be at rest. Amen and amen. He says, but they that receive the abundance and of the free gift of what? Righteousness. Righteousness is what? Gift. It's a gift God gives you. A free gift God gives you. But it shall reign in life by one Jesus. Why? Jesus is reigning now. And we that have received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness are reigning with Christ. We are reigning with Christ now. Jesus is reigning now. He is Lord now. He's seated on the throne now. And we are reigning with him. We have the gift of righteousness. Hallelujah. I don't stand in my own righteousness. I stand in Christ's righteousness. I walk in abundant grace. That is why the Bible says he is able to make all grace abound. There is no exhaustion of the grace of God. You cannot. You can't exhaust God's grace. You understand? You can misuse his grace, but you cannot exhaust it. Hallelujah. You can make God's grace null and void of power in your life, but you cannot exhaust God's grace. Hallelujah. You can stifle God's grace in your life. That is, you are not allowing God's grace to work in your own life. And how do we do that? By going back to the law and seeking to be justified before God by our own works. Hallelujah. When we want to have a transactional relationship with God, when he has provided something better based on the goodness of his heart towards you. Amen and amen. So look at verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of what? Life. That is what Jesus has. 
So 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. How are men made righteous? Through the obedience of one. Which one is that? Jesus Christ. We stand in the obedience of Christ. Hallelujah. Moreover, the, the law entered that the offenses might abound. You see it? The law entered that the sins, offense here is sin. The law entered that the offenses might abound. Then he says, but where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Oh, I love this. The law entered so that sin will multiply. Did God not know what he was doing? He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that the law that he was giving to them, there is absolutely no way they can keep. Fallen man cannot keep law. Hallelujah. It would rather multiply their sins. That is why the sins of the Israelites were many. The sins of the world were many. Amen and amen. But it says, where sin abound. Grace did much more. So even from the beginning, God's grace at the other has superseded the abounding of sin all around. Where sin abound. Grace much more abounds. Never wallow in sin and think that, oh, I need to do this before God will accept me. Don't wallow in sin. Grace much more abounds. Hallelujah. Don't listen to those people who tell you you have to go and do penance. Say three Hail Marys and four. Read the rosary five times and then God will forgive you. All these things are man-made systems meant to exert man's authority over your life. But God has provided something better. What is that? Grace much more abound hallelujah so look at verse 21 that as sin had reigned unto death even so my grace through righteousness unto reign unto what eternal life by jesus christ our lord grace reigns through unto eternal life by jesus christ our lord hallelujah do you see the beautiful work that god has done by one man sin entered in and jesus came for that express purpose of taking away the sin of the world so when he came this is the reference john gave he says the lamb of god that takes away remember that the jew people they, according to the law they were giving certain rituals to perform they will bring bulls and goats and cows and kill to take away their sin but yet still those things could not take away the memory of their sin and god had no pleasure in them but it was a typology, a figure that was pointing to a reality that was coming. The real Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world is Christ Jesus. And he came. Hallelujah. He took the sin of the world away. So no man shall bear his and bear the penalty of his sin. No man. You have no business doing that. All your sins, past, present, they've all been taken away. They've been remitted. I explained to you what remission is. That is, they have been cancelled and removed from the record. There is no record of it. Hallelujah. Amen. So sometimes we tell people, listen, so does it mean that the believer will never sin in his life? No, that's not what we are saying. So what then does sin do in our lives? Listen, God has dealt with the power of sin to affect your relationship with him. So sin no longer has any power over your relationship with God. It does not. It cannot affect your relationship with God. It cannot. Hallelujah. Sin cannot. God has made sure of that. It can't change you from being a son or a saint into a sinner. It cannot. It can't change you and demote you from your sonship. It cannot. You are still as much a son as Christ is. Hallelujah. 
Thomas said, then Pastor Sam, what does sin do to us? I'll tell you what sin does to you. It weakens your own faith. It weakens your own faith, and it prevents you from enjoying the fullness of the blessings. That Hallelujah. But don't wallow in sin. Rise up in the name of King Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Lay aside all filthiness. Lay those things aside. Lay them aside. In the superfluity of nothingness, don't be so stiff-necked that you want to go your own way. Yield your heart to Jesus. You know what he has done for you. Hallelujah. Shadabahatekaya. This is it. Grace reigns eternal life. By Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. It is so immense. It is so telling. It is so superfluous. We can't but tell it abroad unto all men. Jesus came for the express purpose of taking away the sin of the world. That is why Jesus came. Jesus did not come for any other purpose. Jesus did not come to make men millionaires. Jesus did not come so that men will have marriages. Jesus did not come so that men will buy cars or build buildings. Jesus did not come for any reason. Jesus did not die on the cross to give you a career, make you a politician, and make you the best doctor around. That is not the why Jesus died. Jesus died to take away the sin of the world. Sin was the problem of man, and Jesus came to deal with it so that man can have fellowship with God again, unhindered, irrespective of whatever happens. Because God does not take into account his sin anymore. He says, their sins I will remember no more. Finito. There are no ifs and buts. If there is any but, take your but away. Take your but away. Hallelujah. There are no ifs and buts. I'm in unbroken fellowship with the Father. Amen and amen. And he walked with me and he talked with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy shares as he none other has ever. Oh, and he walked with me, and he talked with me, and he tells me I am his own, and the joy as we carry them, none of us has ever known. Amen. Listen. Kado Bayega, Sengra Nontos Mantila Hanga Seza. Kadiantan zuza balagahuzis. Kinao shaiga zuza bange zula bahante kose. God has called us unto a sacred life. A sacred life of consecration. A consecrated life in Christ. Do you know Jesus is your consecration? Do you know Jesus is your sanctification? He's not only your righteousness. He is your sanctification. He is your consecration. Hallelujah. Remain in him. Abide in him. Stay in him. Abide in his grace. Hallelujah. There is no solution anywhere but the grace of God. For all those who, for some reason, feel as if, you know, God's grace is not enough. I must do things in my own power. Well, I got good news for you. Go on and try. Let's see where you get to. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Go on and try. Let's see where you get to. Amen. Man has been trying for centuries in his own power. When man rejected the way, the grace of God in the garden, what happened to him? He fell short of the glory. He rejected God's grace. The tree of life there was Jesus. He is the fullness of God's grace. Man rejected God's grace. What happened to him? He went his own way. In unbelief, he fell short of the glory. So if you want to do that like, your, like Adam, go ahead. And it's sad for the believer because when the believer does that, he has entered into carnality. Even though he's still a believer, he needs to be taught. But I choose to abide in God's grace. Amen. Who is with me? Who is with me? Hallelujah. 
if you are with me, say amen. 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 If you want to abide in God's grace with me, say amen. 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 Listen, I, 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 I don't want my own power. I, I, want, I, I want to ride on His power. I have no power of my own. I have no power of my own. I depend on you. Holy Spirit. Let's sing it. I have no power of my own. Always we have no, we have no. Our own. Oh, we have no power. No power of our own. We depend on you. Oh, we have no. We have no. Yes, we have no power. Listen, brethren, abide in His grace. Feast on God. When you wake up and say, Father, I thank you for your grace. I receive your grace. I walk in your grace. Your grace is sufficient for me. I'm strengthened by your grace. I am empowered by your grace. In the name of King Jesus, my life is beautified by God's grace. Let you speak in tongues. Amen and amen. Listen, the grace of God. It is what has made all things possible. And it is what continues to make all things possible in your life. God's grace. That is why I love quoting the scripture. If God did not spare him, but gave him freely for us. You see, that is the argument. How shall he not also with him? The very best of God he gave to us. How shall he not also freely with him give us all things? Why then would he want to give us things based on our merit? Everything God does in your life is out of His shared grace. I'm telling you, I said everything is out of His shared grace. He says that that all things may be to the praise of the glory of His grace. Anything that you cannot point back to the grace of God, there's a question mark on it. Hallelujah. You see, in Christ, boasting is altogether excluded. Human boasting is altogether excluded because all things are by and through and for His grace. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. There's no way the flesh can glory in Christ. It's not possible. Amen and amen. Rest in his grace. That's why it says, come boldly. Where? 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 Come boldly. Where? Talk to me, faith generation. Come boldly. Where? Throne of mercy. Oh, speak louder like you believe it. Come boldly. Where? The throne of grace. Hallelujah. <laughs> speak it. Speak it. Speak it. Come boldly. Where? In the throne, the throne of, grace. of grace. Yes. Say it louder. Hallelujah. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Speak it boldly like you believe it. Hallelujah. And he says, obtain mercy. Oh, that is lambano. Take it. Seize it. It is yours. One of the free gifts in Christ is, that is, I'm not giving what I deserve. And then there is grace. I'm giving what I don't deserve. Oh, I love this life in Christ. Ah, the mercy of God ensures that I'm not giving what I deserve. The grace of God ensures I'm giving what I don't deserve. Ah, yes. You see why I choose to abide in this too. Hallelujah. Come boldly and obtain, seize, take hold of mercy and find the grace to help in time of need. And oh boy, every day is a time of need. I need God's grace. If there is any prayer you pray for Pastor Sam, pray that God's grace would abound in my life. It's enough for me. 
I'm giving you a prayer topic. Maybe you say, Pastor Sam, I want to pray for you, but I don't know what prayer I should pray. Every day, pray 30 minutes prayer for me. Oh God, let your grace abound on Pastor Sam. Every just even if it's five minutes, I'll think I will I'll be so thankful to you. Oh God, let your grace abound in my life. Let your grace abound upon Pastor. Let your grace abound upon him in ministry. Let your grace abound upon him in marriage. Let your grace abound upon him in everything he does. Oh God, your grace. Yes, let it abound upon him. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. And you see, I want you to know something. The grace of God doesn't work in your life to spite other men. Listen to me. Most people, you know, sometimes you hear people put things like, we may be classmates, but we are not grace mates. You know, people make those kinds of statements. They think they say something powerful. They are just talking out of ignorance. What do you mean by we are not grace Because they feel they've attained certain heights in life. The grace of God doesn't work in your life to spite men. God doesn't do the things he does in your life to spite people, to spite other believers. Hallelujah. That God is not petty and God does not subscribe to your pettiness. So take him out of that. That's not the purpose of God's grace. God, the working of God's grace in your life is for the glory of Christ to be seen in you. All are for, hear me and hear me well. It's not for you, it's for Jesus, that he would be glorified in you. That is why the grace of God is working mightily in your life. That is why God is doing what he's doing in your life, that Christ will be glorified in you. Take your mind off yourself for a minute. You are too self-centered. We are too self-centered. Oh, God. You know, almost like our prayers are very selfish. We are praying and our intention is so that that sister will know that me too, I have arrived. Arrived where? Arrived where? Cantamanto. <laughs> arrived where? where? Where are you arriving? We have arrived. Arrived where? Where, where are you going? Hallelujah. You know, sometimes Amen. we get to where, especially and these things are so because we listen to all these kinds of messages from the from certain pulpits and then we believe them we go and we shout and jump and do all the gymnastics after them we come out and we are so carnal in our thinking and there's so much strife among us who is who who has this more who has that more you've lost it that's not why the grace of god is working in your life that's not the reason the grace of god is even working in your church amen and amen oh whose church is more powerful who has who has more? there's nothing like mega church big church super church small church Never use qualifiers for the church of God. Never in your life. It is an insult to the work of God's grace. It's an insult to Jesus, the Lord of the church. Jesus never referred to any church as small church, big church. When he wrote to the churches in Galatia, in the, the churches in Revelation, he never referred to anyone as mega church or small church or big church or large church or mushroom church. Like some people like to describe the church churches. No. And in the, in the New Testament, you never see the apostles refer to any of the churches like that. Paul never wrote and said, I'm writing to you Galatians because you are now a mega church. No. Church is church. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. The most important thing is, is Jesus exalted. It's the word of God taught in truth. You can be three, four, five, six, ten, eleven, thousand. It doesn't matter. As long as the Holy Ghost is doing the work of God's grace in fashioning men's life after Christ, it is church. Size has absolutely nothing to do with it. It is our own carnality. You know, man always wants to find a way to sort of, you know, uh, make themselves feel good. So we love titles. We love the scriptures. We love qualifying so that we can show that we are better than somebody. So sometimes senior pastors will even say, all these young, young pastors who have come, all these young, young pastors who have come, all these small, small boys, they think that they are something. Meanwhile, 
when you also started in ministry, you were young. Do you know that all the disciples of Christ were teenagers? It was only Peter who was in his early 20s when Jesus called him. So what are you saying? Hallelujah. That's what Paul said to Timothy. Don't let anybody despise your youth. Hallelujah. Do you understand that? This God that called, there's no you. Amen and amen. There are many ministries that have died because certain men sat up and intimidated the young ones that were coming up. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes we act so funny. We act very funny. Man, it, it, they are all the ways. Of, I call them the ways of men's ways. And sometimes we try to attach scripture to it and make it seem as if it is God. It, God has nothing to do with it. It is simply men's ways. But I pray, may all those things be flashed out of the church. Let the church be the church of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Where we love one another. There is no distinction. We understand and love one another. Hallelujah. And Christ Jesus is exalted in our hearts every day. Amen. And we refuse to see. We refuse to see who is bringing the big bank account and who is building buildings and who is doing this and who is doing that. It doesn't matter. The church is church. Church is what? Church. Hallelujah. Church is what? Church. You are no more church than we are. Amen and amen. As we gather like this, what are we? We are the church of the Lord Jesus. Someone say, oh, but you, your ministry, you don't meet in person. We are just online. No, we are church. <laughs> oh, no, we, you are a ministry. You are not church. What, what, what are you talking about? What is church? Church is the called out ones, the ecclesia of God. Hallelujah. We are the called out ones of God. We, we are the body of Christ. That's, that's what church Amen and amen. Let's be renewed in our thinking. Hallelujah. Listen, brethren, abide in God's grace. Lift up your voice and begin to pray. Thank God for you bring the message close. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his grace. In the name of Jesus.